Welcome to the Happily Hormonal Podcast. Now, if you're a little iffy on whether or not the word hormonal is a good one, you're in the right place. My name is Leisha Drews, registered nurse and functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner turned holistic hormone coach. And after going through my own hormone journey and having my three babies, I actually believe that our hormones are one of the greatest gifts that we've been given as women. And that no matter what you've been told, it's possible for you to have thriving energy, good periods, and a stable mood all month long. And I am here to show you the way. I think it's time to change the narrative around words like hormones and hormonal and start to reclaim the power that we truly have as women, which is the power to change not only our own health, but the health of all of our family for generations to come. Hormone balance doesn't have to feel hard. It can actually feel simple and fun when we do it in a way that aligns with how our bodies were made. If you're ready to start trusting your body again and feeling really good in that beautiful body that you've been given, then grab yourself a yummy drink and maybe a snack and let's do this. Welcome back to the podcast. After a long, long, long time, I have Heather back with me. It feels so good. And we're going to talk about PCOS today. And Heather is a big advocate for appropriate PCOS treatment and management. And so I am just really excited to dive into this. PCOS is a syndrome. I just want to remind you of that. And I personally think that it's a pretty big umbrella term that a lot of times we get diagnosed with when there's hormone imbalances and they can be different hormone imbalances and different symptoms. And so it can feel really confusing. And so today we're really here to try to simplify and try to regain some clarity around PCOS and some of the big, big myths that we see when it comes to PCOS diagnosis and treatment and just all the things in the conventional space. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's one of those things that I find we create these kind of umbrella terms, very similar actually to having a diagnosis of unexplained infertility. Because in the medical realm, like we don't want unknowns and like we want to be able to put everything in a box. And part of that does definitely go back to like insurance billing and like how do we provide appropriate care and services and just the way the system's designed. But at the same time, it really allows for there to be this big gap in the way women are served when it comes to PCOS. Because you can be showing a ton of PCOS symptoms, but if you aren't showing up as what they qualify as, you know, considerations to have the diagnosis, then you just get told, okay, well, there's not much you can do about it or it's not PCOS. So then you don't ever get appropriately treated. And I think that's important too, when you say, I just want to remind everybody, PCOS is a syndrome because a syndrome is very different than a disease. And then also I think that there's an understanding there of the way you might have been, not even the way you, the way your doctors might have been taught about PCOS causes them to only look for it in a certain capacity. But that doesn't mean you couldn't still be something that I personally would probably consider PCOS, or I sometimes even call it like pseudo PCOS, meaning that like you've got the symptoms, you're on the way there, but you just haven't quite met that diagnostic criteria. And I think that's another thing that's important too, is that there's basically like four kind of governing bodies that decide how does somebody qualify for a diagnosis and they can't even agree on what needs to happen, what somebody needs to have in order to be diagnosed with PCOS. So most providers stuck with this one specific criteria, the Rotterdam criteria, and that's just what people know and understand PCOS is. But I think we're going to break apart and pull some pieces apart. So we thought that most likely if you're listening, you know you have PCOS or you've been told that or you've suspected it. 
or maybe you've suspected it, but your doctors have never told you you have it. If that's you, definitely tune in, listen up, take notes, because I think you're going to be really well served here because we really want to clear out something that can be very confusing. Yeah. So I think number one, one of the myths is that PCOS is a hormone condition when it's really a metabolic condition. And another myth that I hear all the time is that if you have PCOS, you'll always have PCOS and you're just stuck with it. So tell us your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. So I consider PCOS to be more of a spectrum. So when we think about a spectrum, I mean, I think one of the things that most of us can come like that pops in our minds when we hear spectrum is something like autism or ADHD, where we know like, hey, you can show symptoms and like still be on the spectrum, but you may not look like this person over here who has more of a full blown exacerbation or kind of like very visible evidence of the syndrome or the disease. And another thing, sometimes I think with spectrum too, is like paint colors. So if I was like, oh, well, you're blue. This color right here is blue. There's a billion different shades of blue, all the way from the most pure white with two drops of blue in it, all the way to like navy, almost black. And so when we think about PCOS as a spectrum, I think that can help us to visualize, oh, okay, like most women are either moving towards a part of that spectrum of, okay, my hormones are getting out of balance. So I'm like inching my way towards that imbalance or we're healing and our body's like maintaining, staying good. And we're just inching our way closer and closer to more and more balance. Right. And so I think that on the most basic form of understanding what PCOS is, it's when the body pauses ovulation. So yes, there can be issues with testosterone and there can be issues with androgens, but really at the most basic level, and this is where there's so much disagreement, but I really go back to, hey, your body is pausing ovulation for one reason or another. If it's pausing it because there's a disruption from signaling where your brain and your ovaries have paused their communication because the body doesn't feel safe enough, usually because there's overexercise and undereating, that is something different called hypothalamic amenorrhea. But it also, in my opinion, like they get healed in very similar ways. And then we also have the piece where maybe it's stress hormones that are causing that gap in your body being able to ovulate effectively. Maybe there's inflammation. Maybe there's issues with insulin. Maybe there are issues with your body not having enough ingredients to make hormones overall. All of these things can fall under the spectrum. And so when we talk about it being a metabolic condition, what I mean by that, what Leisha means by that is essentially that your metabolism is how your body takes what you do every day, the way you eat, the way it breaks down your food, the way it makes hormones. That's like the process of making them, building them, taking food and turning it into the things your body is made out of. That is being driven by hormones. And these hormones include our thyroid and insulin and our inflammatory hormones and our stress hormones. And so that's how PCOS is really being driven and influenced by metabolism way more than just, I don't, than just, I don't even know what people think it's being driven by, (laughs) but a lot of doctors won't address that this is a metabolic condition. And so anytime you have something where we're talking about the metabolism, the whole picture matters. And PCOS is one of those conditions where I think a lot of times in the traditional medical world, we're just like, okay, well, if there's high testosterone, then we'll just give them a testosterone blocker. Or if they're not making progesterone because they're not ovulating, we'll just give them progesterone. Or let's give them birth control and shut the whole system down. Or if they have insulin issues, let's just give them metformin to fix the insulin. Why do you have insulin issues? 
okay? Is it being driven by stress hormones? And that hormone's not going to work. And I personally am someone who's so passionate and annoyed with this conversation because I very much believe I lived in a state of PCOS for a long time. It was most likely teetering that line between hypothalamic amenorrhea and PCOS. But once I like got my cycle back and it healed my HA, my body was definitely existing in PCOS where it wasn't ovulating regularly. It wasn't ovulating predictably. I know my testosterone was a little bit high. I wasn't making progesterone because I wasn't ovulating and nobody could help me. Nobody told me it was PCOS. I never got a diagnosis. So honestly, I just said, okay, I'm just going to treat myself as if I have PCOS. I have all of these symptoms. The treatments aren't anything that's going to hurt me to pay more attention to what I'm eating and stabilize my blood sugar. And I really noticed this is what kicked off so much of my hormone healing. And so I really just have this heart for women that are like sitting in this in between of like, well, do I have it? What do I do about it? And where can I go from here? And so now that we've kind of like put those pieces together, Leisha and I really want to walk you through what are some common myths about how you fix it? And also probably, we probably need to start more so with what are those symptoms and how do you feel when they show up? Yeah. Yeah. I think that again, like so much of the time I'm bringing this conversation back to the more simple things, right? It feels really overwhelming. It feels really stressful to say, oh, I just got diagnosed with PCOS and my cycles have been irregular and my hormones are all out of whack. And there are going to be some things that are more specific and a little bit different than the baseline that I talk about. But of the baseline of having nourishing foods, replenishing your minerals, getting sleep, reducing your stress, like if that's not there, the fancy stuff is never going to work. And I'm going to say that again and again forever as long as I'm talking on this podcast because it's so easy to get swept up by the fancy things, the PCOS supplements, or you think you have to be on birth control and you have to be on metformin for PCOS. Mm-hmm. Or you know, if you're past that point and you're not on those things anymore, you think that you have to be on some very like specific PCOS supplements or herbs. And while those can be helpful as a bridge, in my opinion, in some cases, we again, like we just have to go back to the why at all times. Like, why are you not ovulating? Where is that stress? Where is the signaling issue? And then we can go from there. So yeah, let's hop into some of the symptoms. And then let's also do talk about the hormone reasons for PCOS, because obviously there is a hormone component for sure. Absolutely. So some of the bigger symptoms that I see with a lot of my clients is first and foremost, I think kind of one of the biggest indicators is having long cycles. So your cycle specifically is most likely longer than 32-ish days, or you're only getting a period every couple of months, you're only getting a period every 60 days, or you don't know when you're getting a period and it just randomly shows up. I've also seen some clients with pretty severe PCOS, it's just really gone unaddressed that have constant bleeding. And so that's just that sign of your body's not even attempting ovulation anymore and you don't have any progesterone. It's not making any. And so the uterus is just contracting and maybe you'll have a couple of days where you'll get that estrogen kind of build the lining and then you bleed again. So I see kind of both of those show up where some people are having just like kind of regular-ish cycles. They're just longer. And then I see some women that are experiencing PCOS that have cycles that are like you're there, you're bleeding every two weeks. I see a lot of ovulatory symptoms with PCOS. So because in PCOS, there's usually a deficiency in progesterone because if you aren't ovulating every 14 days, it's really easy for your body to not have enough progesterone to control your estrogen and your stress hormones. And so when that shows up, that excess estrogen, when it starts to peak and attempt to ovulate, then you can see symptoms like migraines and mood swings and irritability, almost like PMS in the middle of your month. 
not a lot with PCOS. Some of the more like classic symptoms, hair loss, typically in a male pattern. So like male pattern baldness. So we see that really along like your temples or like the center top kind of crown of your head and then thinning hair and hair growth in places you don't want it, like your chin, your chest, your back, even mustache, like those things all are being driven by excess testosterone. And I really believe that there's a lot of women that don't have testosterone levels that are high enough to qualify as PCOS, but that their testosterone is too high for them. And they're starting to show some of those symptoms and, and, or their stress hormones are too high from them and their body hasn't yet started saving testosterone. So they're kind of like sitting in that middle point, just waiting on things to get bad enough for testosterone to rise. And that's not what we want to do either. Yeah. Yeah. And hormonal acne is a big sign for PCOS sometimes, especially like the chin acne or like the deep cystic acne on the jawline that often can be associated with PCOS. That's not a diagnostic factor. And then PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so let's talk about cysts because cysts can be there sometimes, but they don't always have to be there. Yeah. So I do think it's important to distinguish like there is a difference between PCOS in the fact that you're having like cysts in your ovaries that are rupturing. So some people will have like dermal cysts or you'll have cysts that are in your ovaries that are actually rupturing. And that's not always PCOS. PCOS, when we talk about cysts, is more so referring to the fact that your body is the follicles that are kind of like the shell that hold your eggs, you're getting a lot of them and then they're pausing. So typically the way a normal hormone cycle works is that your body starts preparing, you know, like maybe 10 eggs. It's like, okay, we're going to get you guys ready. We're going to get you guys ready. And then closer to ovulation, as you move through your follicular phase, you have hormones that come in and get like three to four of those eggs start to grow bigger than the others. And that's like, all right, you guys are going to be the superstars this round. And then once your estrogen hits a peak, it will signal for LH, which is another hormone to come in and pick the one egg that's going to drop that month. It's going to be your biggest, juiciest egg. In PCOS, you're getting paused usually around that point where estrogen peaks. And I see most often it's that estrogen isn't peaking high enough. And so that's why you basically have these three to four bigger egg sacs without one becoming dominant. And those are or can be what's considered that like cystic profile. If you ever do an ultrasound, they'll say ring of pearls around the ovary is what they call it. And that's just because what should be these little microscopic eggs that don't have these big, fluffy, juicy shells yet. If you have PCOS, you have a lot of those big, puffy, juicy shells that are just hanging out on the ovaries. It looks like a pearl necklace would be around your neck. So that's kind of like the physiological piece of it. And I do think it's helpful to know, hey, in order to get a diagnosis from your doctor, there's three things that they look for. One is going to be elevated testosterone or androgen levels. So that would require blood work. The next would be cysts on your ovaries. So they'd have to see on an ultrasound that you have those cysts there. And then the third one would be irregular cycles. So some criteria say you need all three. Some say you need two of the three. Some say you need any of them with the elevation of androgens. It's just kind of different depending on who your doctor is. But I also want you to think about that requires blood work and ultrasounds to get a diagnosis. And so you can have a lot of these symptoms and the doctor can either suspect it and not really mention it. The doctor could suspect it and say, oh yeah, that probably is what she has, but we're not going to spend the money to officially diagnose her. And either way, you're still not like getting those answers. So I think that's really important to understand. And 
I know we're going to talk about the hormones into why this happens because when we think about, okay, well, that's great that I have these eggs that are getting ready. Why is my body not making the estrogen? Why are these eggs not like, why am I not having one that becomes dominant? And there can be a lot of different reasons. I feel like one of the most common that I see is with testosterone. Let's talk about how testosterone is kind of made in the female hormone cycle. So your body takes stress hormones and makes it into testosterone and a couple other stress hormones, basically. And the reason I say stress hormones is because that's like the easiest way to understand the same hormones that your body can easily turn into adrenaline and cortisol and norepinephrine, things that keep your heart beating, things that activate your fight or flight. Testosterone then turns into estrogen. Your body knows exactly how to keep that process rolling in a really balanced way until your stress hormones take over. When your stress hormones take over and the body's getting a lot of stress signals and a lot of stress hormone needs, you're needing more of it. Testosterone acts like a savings account because if you've got a lot of testosterone saved up, then if something super stressful happens, the body can easily turn that into stress hormones. It can easily convert it back into something that's going to activate your fight or flight. If that testosterone gets turned into estrogen, it's like you spent the money, you put it in your checking and the body can't get it back. So if your body's not feeling safe and it doesn't have enough hormone building blocks, it doesn't have a metabolism that's working really, really well so it can trust nutrients are coming in and hormones can be made in the right speed. Or if you have a ton of stress signals, then the body's actually going to pause and say like, well, we want to keep more in this savings account, which is testosterone. And the issue with that is as that testosterone builds up, not only do you start noticing symptoms like the deep cystic acne and the hair growth or the hair loss, even the mood swings. But also now we have an issue where estrogen isn't rising the way it's supposed to, but it's probably also not getting broken down the way it's supposed to. So it seems like you would have low estrogen, but a lot of women with PCOS show signs of estrogen dominance, even though they also are showing high testosterone. So I just think that's like important to note because you may have looked up or Googled your symptoms and been like, well, I kind of have symptoms of high testosterone, but then I also have symptoms of high estrogen. But then I went to the doctor and they said both of them are low, right? And so I see that a lot and it's really coming back to the metabolism and the body feeling safe and deciding we're going to save this hormone or we're not going to convert this one because it doesn't feel, it's not metabolically fueled to run through that whole process in an effective way. Yeah. And another piece that I want to make sure we talk about when we're talking about the hormones involved in PCOS and especially the metabolic part of this condition is insulin. Mm -hmm. And there can be a lot of insulin resistance in PCOS and it can come from the same place that it comes from for most people who don't have PCOS, which is your body not getting the nutrients that it needs to feel safe. And you have these ups and downs in blood sugar, which actually fuels your stress hormones. So that can kind of start the cascade off. And I've talked about this before, but when your body doesn't have the fuel that it needs, or you're not eating balanced meals with carbs and protein, you have a lot of spikes and then dips in blood sugar. And that is truly an emergency response in the body that requires cortisol to spike and adrenaline to spike to create more blood sugar so that you can have enough for your brain to keep working, for your heart to keep beating. You need that energy 100% of the time. And so when that emergency response is happening over and over again, you have these not only blood sugar spikes, but also insulin spikes. And these insulin spikes can cause resistance in your cells because again, like your body is always trying to regulate itself and always working for you. The other piece that's really important to think about when we're talking about insulin resistance or insulin going into the cells in general is that minerals are needed for that. And so specifically potassium 
works in a similar way to insulin and it helps get things inside of the cells and it helps get insulin inside of the cells where it needs to be so that glucose can come into the cell as well. And sodium is also a really important part of this. And then when we're in stress, we burn our minerals faster. So we burn sodium potassium faster, we burn magnesium faster, and things get out of balance in a much more quick way or like they get out of control more quickly with stress. And so I think many things that we've talked about here are linking back to stress. And it's just so easy for that to be kind of an umbrella term. But when we're talking about stress, we're talking about your body not feeling safe to make the hormones and not having the nutrients that it needs to make the hormones. And so that's something you can do something about. It's not just about deep breathing exercises, even though I love those. There truly are like tangible physical things that you can do as well. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned, it's so cool because I don't think people understand a whole lot about minerals themselves on like the most, and you don't need to, you really don't need to understand like the ins and outs of like, well, this pushes this out of the cell and this pushes this in the cell. But it's really helpful when you understand that like in a cell, potassium actually helps insulin get into your cells. So it can fight insulin resistance. And along those same lines, when we were talking about even testosterone and estrogen, like in insulin, when you have too much insulin in and around the ovaries, it actually will fight and testosterone can't convert into estrogen. So that can drive things up as well. And so it's interesting that these big things that we feel day to day, like super stressed or like these symptoms of PCOS really do come back to these very small, small things in our body that just got out of balance and just need a little bit more support. And that's what's so cool about the body is that it's got these correction mechanisms in place. It's just that a lot of times we aren't figuring out how to get to the root to reconnect those things. And that's where I think the modern medicine piece kind of has a gap because we end up saying, okay, well, let's just use this medication that will decrease inflammation and increase insulin sensitivity, such as metformin. And while metformin does do those things, it also can deplete B vitamins and it can disrupt minerals. And so when you really know and see the full picture, it can help you understand not only how to work with the pieces you are, you know, wanting to heal and like even the things maybe your doctor's recommending that you feel comfortable about, but you can also support even those things in a much more like deeper holistic way, which I just think is so cool. Hey friends, sorry to interrupt, but I have something new and free for you. So it's going to be worth it. I just created a private pod course that is going to teach you all about how to actually balance your blood sugar for happier hormones and more stable moods and energy. And I'm giving away the first two episodes completely free. All you have to do is sign up and grab those and you will have complete access right away. Your link is in the show notes and I will see you in there. Yeah. And one piece that I didn't mention when I was talking about insulin is that insulin resistance and just that pattern of inflammation, and there's multiple factors to the insulin resistance, it can actually drive up one of your stress hormones that is DHEA, which is one of the precursors to testosterone. So like all of these pieces are just very much interconnected, which I know it can feel overwhelming. Like, well, how would I ever fix it then? But that's actually good news because we can target some specific things and some very like big general things and start to see really big changes. So let's talk about the myths with PCOS and treatment and what 
we recommend instead. Yeah. And I think one thing you hit on that I just have to mention is even though it can feel like a lot of these little things, when you go back to those big foundations that you were talking about at the beginning, like eating whole real foods, the reason we promote eating like whole real foods for people is because they have the perfect mineral balances. Like they all do. And they work in these really synchronous ways. And then, you know, lowering stress hormones. Well, we just talked for like 20 minutes on how stress hormones are really driving a lot of this. And so I just think that's what's so neat is that even though we can break it down to the small pieces, you can still just apply the big pieces and your body knows once it gets what it needs, how to self-correct and self-heal, which is another huge myth of PCOS is that like, well, you have it, you just have it forever. Your hormones might be a little bit more sensitive to falling into these same imbalances later on, or they might be a little bit more sensitive to inflammation or more sensitive to stress hormones, but you can absolutely heal PCOS. And what I consider healing is having regular predictable cycles, being fertile, not having to live every month with crazy acne or crazy mood swings, seeing your weight change, reversing insulin resistance. Like those are all really big things that people with PCOS are not told can be reversed and they can. Another thing with the insulin piece too, is that you may have been told you're not insulin resistant because somebody checked your A1C, which is your average blood sugar over the last three months. And I don't love to use that as a marker in PCOS because that doesn't show you how much insulin your body was having to put out to control your blood sugars. And that's really important too, because again, this insulin resistance is where it's like insulin becomes the boy who cried wolf, where it starts knocking on the doors and it doesn't have sugar there. This is also why sugar-free and fat-free and diet everything is like worsening your PCOS and your hormone imbalances overall. But anyways, let's get to the bigger myths. <laughs> so let me get off of my mini soapboxes. I think one of the biggest ones when it comes to PCOS, there's two that I think of right off the bat. Lose weight, cut out dairy and gluten. Those are the two biggest things that I feel like women are told when it comes to PCOS. I'd say number three is birth control and metformin and or one or the other or both. But let's break down like those pieces in general. So the first of losing weight, I think we've done a lot of episodes that hit on this into how losing weight, weight that is there that is in excess is most likely a symptom. So losing weight is not going to fix your metabolism. It's not going to correct your insulin sensitivity. It's not going to rebalance your hormones. (laughs) Doing things that do fix your metabolism and do rebalance your hormones can influence your weight. Absolutely. But it's not that you go after the weight first. And so a lot of people will say like, well, I have PCOS and my friend had it and she cut carbs and she did keto and she got pregnant and she lost 30 pounds and all of these things. And I think because in the the beginning of doing those things, your body responds because you do have less insulin because there's less sugar. And maybe you do have less of a inflammatory response because you're eating a little bit more fresh or whole or real foods. But over time, if those, if the way you're implementing those diet strategies aren't supporting your metabolism, aren't lowering your stress hormones, and number three, aren't sustainable, then you're not going to see that actual reversing and healing of PCOS. So what I like to teach people is, hey, if you want to eat carbs your whole life, which you absolutely need, I think cutting carbs for PCOS worsens PCOS and it doesn't work and it doesn't make your symptoms better. And if it did, everybody would be doing it and wouldn't have PCOS anymore. That's just not a thing. What we want to do is eat in a way that your body gets a consistent amount of carbs in a way that it can balance with blood sugar while you're keeping stress hormones low. And then I think the second myth of cut out gluten and dairy, I have so many thoughts on this, but again, just not eating dairy and not eating gluten, don't heal your metabolism. 
they can potentially lower inflammation. But I think a lot of times, rather than cutting out all dairy to lower inflammation, you want to cut out the dairy that's pro-inflammatory. So the dairy that's bringing inflammation into your body, you could start there. I also don't think that going gluten and dairy-free is sustainable and easy and going to work for everybody. And if that's the case, you're better off not doing that and finding something that does work and is sustainable that's not going to allow your metabolism to take a big hit than to just go all in with trying to cut out gluten and dairy. I think of it like like a process, right? Like you're building a house and you want to think, okay, I want to really spice up the decor in my living room. Well, that's not the first thing you do when you're building a house. So if you're working on fixing your PCOS, cutting out gluten and dairy might not be the first thing. We might want to make sure that you've got your foundations built by knowing how to handle stress hormones and turn them down. We might want to make sure that you've got walls up in your house by knowing how to eat in a way that stabilizes blood sugar and by seeing evidence that your metabolism is sped up and is working well. And then if you're still having some lingering symptoms or if we've pulled out that inflammation is really driving a lot of your symptoms, then let's experiment with swapping the types of dairy you're having or maybe pulling out gluten for a little bit and seeing if your body responds. But I definitely think that when we go after these strategies that are so super tight and specific without laying those foundations, it just sets us up to feel worse. And it's most likely going to disrupt your insulin patterns even further. And I think that's really because especially in PCOS, the body is not in a place where it's getting consistency. Your body wants to consistently have estrogen at a certain amount, consistently have progesterone at a certain amount. And that's not happening in PCOS. So the best thing you can give your body is consistency. And so that's when we think about how do we reverse and heal PCOS. I think you're better off finding something you can be consistent at and you're going to find more healing there than inconsistently chasing keto or carb-free or low-carb or gluten-free or dairy-free or whatever else it may be. Yeah. And that, I think there's so much good there, but that's exactly why I teach what I teach in my course, Nourish Your Hormones, because that has been the transformation for me. When I was chasing dairy-free and gluten-free and low-carb and paleo and Whole30 and all of these different modalities, they were not sustainable for me. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were not sustainable. And over the last several years, I've been able to stay really consistent with eating whole foods and with nourishing my body. And I think when we just think like we have to cut something out to heal, we're not paying attention to what we're putting in. We're just paying attention to what we're not getting. And so you can be gluten and dairy-free and be eating an absolutely horrible diet full of seed oils and fake food, or you can have some gluten and some dairy in your diet that are high quality. And that real food is what's going to fuel your body. The fake food is not going to fuel your body. And so not to say you can't be gluten and dairy-free and be eating whole foods. You can But a lot of people who are coming from more of a conventional nutritional space, when they swap out gluten and dairy, gluten-free products can be terrible. Dairy-free products can be terrible. And so I just want to create that awareness that gluten and dairy-free is not always healthy. And that's something that I overhear conversations about all the time, even like at a coffee shop. There's two women talking. They're like, oh, I just found out that dairy is an issue for me. So I switched to oat milk. And I'm like, over there, stop doing that (laughs) because... Again, like we're not focused on what we're getting. We're focused on what we're not getting and what we're cutting out. And we have been so programmed to think that restriction is healthy and to think the more restrictive we're being, the better people we are, the better we're going to have, you know, weight loss and skin and all of these different things just because, but like restriction is the core mindset of that. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to be sustainable. It's just never going to be because you're going to be starving your body. So 
Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of education you need to have about food choices before you just cut out gluten and dairy. Like I've shared this a little bit on my Instagram. You've talked, we've talked about it, Alicia, of how like my boys do have a need for being gluten and dairy free for a short amount of time. We have an exit plan. But when I first went and started looking at options that were gluten and dairy free, the very first thing I noticed was exactly what you said. Like seed oils, they're filled with seed oils. And like, I would much rather they have something that has a little bit of gluten and a little bit of high quality dairy than have those ingredients that I'm seeing inside of the alternative. And so I think if that feels really shocking to you or you didn't know, or like you always just assumed that, you know, gluten or dairy or dairy were the problem, or you're not sure how to find quality in foods, like let's start there rather than just kind of blindly seeing someone on Instagram say you should be gluten and dairy free to fix your PCOS. Because especially with PCOS, when we start jacking up your body with those seed oils and they start coating your hormones that are already out of balance and they start clogging up your liver and disrupting your gut, that can just create this PCOS chaos. And you're already more sensitive to hormone transitions and you already need that balance so much more that that's something I get so fired up about when it comes to PCOS because it's just wrong. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the baselines of what is the right direction to go with PCOS. If birth control is not it, gluten and dairy free is not what we want to do. We don't want to be cutting out carbs and doing keto. Then like, where do we go from there? Yeah. So the first thing I like to do is start with your foundations. And I do think it's important to just kind of take a peek and see like, where am I on the PCOS spectrum? So you know, I'm going to take it back to progesterone. (laughs) All with But progesterone is that hormone that shows up after we ovulate. So if you have PCOS and you're not ovulating, then you're not making progesterone. Progesterone is going to be your biggest tool to helping rebalance your PCOS because progesterone's on your team. It's like your number one quarterback that's there ready to take over to beat the other team. And you haven't even found them for the day. So I'm like, let's start with getting you ovulating so that you can make this progesterone because once he's there, once you've got that rolling, that's going to help push your estrogen into balance. That's going to help lower your stress hormones. That's going to help speed up your metabolism. So in order to get there, I like to look and see what's happening here. Do we just have radio silence? Do we have... Why are you not ovulating if you aren't? So that's kind of the first place. I kind of think of it in phases. So like you're either not ovulating at all. And our first goal is, okay, well, let's get you ovulating. If you're not ovulating, it's for one of two reasons. The signal from your brain to your ovaries has been disrupted, or you don't have the ingredients to make enough of the hormones you need to ovulate. One of those two pieces. If you are ovulating, but it's just happening later and later, and your cycle is just really irregular, and you've got a lot of those PCOS symptoms, then I'm going back to how do we get more progesterone on board? Because you're already ovulating, which tells me that if we can help you have more of the ingredients to make progesterone, if we can help speed up your metabolism to make progesterone, if we can look at your gut and your liver, to help figure out why you're ovulating too late, then that's going to help us to boost those progesterone levels so that now we have somebody working on our team to help calm down stress, calm down inflammation, calm down estrogen. And then if you're somebody who I'd say probably in like phase three, if you're someone that's kind of in that phase where you're like ovulating, but, and it's pretty regular, pretty consistent, but you have a lot of the PCOS symptoms, then I just start thinking you probably just have a really big disruption between your estrogen and your progesterone. And so I really like to look at how is estrogen being broken down in your body? 
How's your metabolism functioning overall? And that's when I'll really hone in on nutrition because I do, like we said, insulin plays a really big role in here. So I'm trying to assess like what's playing the biggest role. Is it your testosterone? Is it your stress hormones? Is it your insulin? And we can kind of see that by looking at your cycle and figuring out of these three phases, where are you currently? But I'd say the foundation, regardless of what stage you're in, is going to come back to fueling your body with nutrient-dense foods in a way that lowers stress hormones. So the way you eat can decrease your stress hormone production. Eating with consistency, eating enough, eating things that are easy for your body to turn into hormones. That is going to influence, not only is that going to speed up your metabolism, that's also going to help to stabilize things like insulin. It's going to help to stabilize your stress hormones. It can also even stabilize your thyroid to eat in that way. So that's kind of like one of the pieces. The next is going to be your stress hormones. So like what signals for stress is your body getting? So does your body feel safe? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting sunlight? Like what is your body potentially missing? Minerals are probably going to fall into our, our nutrition foundational piece. But I would say it's, I mean, it's those big, simple foundational things that you and I talk about all the time. We just go in and do that specific tailoring and tweaking to you. And then I'd say like my third tier is going to be, let's look at gut and liver support. And it's interesting because to support your gut and your liver, you need your stress hormones low and you need your metabolism working quickly. So I feel like we beat a dead horse with this, but I just want you to see that like these are your answers is to go back to understanding how do I execute these big foundational pieces in a way that works for me, for my lifestyle, for the foods I like to eat. And really, you know, I think as a society, we think these big, quick fixes are just going to like snap our fingers and we're going to be like, this is it. This is the answer. This supplement's going to fix it. This medicine's going to fix it. You know, and really it's going to go back to making those small things and tweaking it day after day after day. And that's what's going to win you the race. Yeah. And I think that, again, like we do beat a dead horse a little bit, but the thing is, this is a really important horse. And so we're going to keep doing it Mm -hmm. because when we're looking for those fancy quick fixes, when we're looking for, you know, if I just do this two week thing, it's going to reset my hormones or it's going to reset my metabolism. No, like it took you a while to get here and that's okay. And we're here to support you in being able to take the steps that you actually need to take to move forward. So is this something you can figure out on your own? Sometimes, yes, it is. And sometimes you also need someone holding your hand and guiding you and cheering you on. And that's why we each have a method that we use with our clients on their hormones so that you have the step-by-step and you can walk through that and know and feel confident enough to continue, right? So, so many times... I see in myself and in others that if you're like, I Googled this thing and then I think that it might be right, but I'm not actually sure. You do it for two weeks and it's terrible. And then you're like, well, I'm going to give up now because I don't even know if it's going to work. But when you know that there is a tried and true method that you're following and it's not restrictive and you feel encouraged and you feel supported, that's a whole game changer for your mindset. That brings your stress hormones down, even that in and of itself, having support. We're not made to do things on our own you know, like not to do everything on our own. I think there's so much motherhood that we're like doing on our own that doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be that case. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that, that having the step-by-step can be foundational and so supportive in actually being able to make these things work for you and support your body long-term. And that breeds consistency. So we just said, hey, in PCOS, the biggest thing your body needs to feel safe enough to ovulate is going to be consistency. 
And so to breed consistency by being clear on those pieces and those pieces working for you is huge. Okay. So I think really our overlying message for this whole talk of PCOS is that if you don't have the basics in place, that's where you need to start. And then when you have had those basics in place for multiple months and you're starting to see shifts in some of your symptoms that make you know you're going in the right direction, maybe that's where you look for the fancy stuff. Maybe that's where you dive in deeper to lab testing or you look for some specific supplementation that's going to help. You really, really focus on you know your macros or your blood sugar balance like in a different way. But if you don't have those foundations in place and you're not getting your minerals, you're not getting your nutrients and you're not going to see change over time. And so we just want to encourage you to start there. And I would definitely encourage you if you're newer to the podcast and you haven't heard Dr. Heather before, we're going to link all of her stuff in the show notes. Go follow her on Instagram. Her hormone reset is awesome. She has an amazing group program and we're both here to support you and to answer your questions. So we will see you next week. Any information shared on this podcast is solely for educational purposes, is not to be taken as medical advice or to be used as a diagnosis or a treatment plan for any medical condition. I'm sharing my educated opinions and experience, but nothing shared here can be taken on a one-size-fits-all basis. We always recommend that you do your own research, talk to your own doctors, and take full informed responsibility for any health and medical choices that you make. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today for listening. And I hope that you were encouraged and learned something new. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you be willing to share it with a friend and to leave us a review? I believe that every woman deserves to understand her body and feel great in it. And you can help me in this mission by sharing the podcast. If you're also feeling like you're ready for the next step and you're really ready to dive in in your hormone journey, my course Nourish Your Hormones is created specifically for you. It's a step-by-step blueprint to increase your metabolism, restore energy, and have better periods and mood every single month. I would love to connect with you. So come over and join me on my Instagram page at Leisha Drews and send me a message if you have questions or just want to tell me something that you enjoyed about this episode. I can't wait to meet you.